You're listening to Thaisi Women Diaspora, Episode 11. For 30 years, Saki has worked to end domestic violence against South Asian women. For urgent support, call their helpline at 212-868-6741 or visit them at sakhi.org. Welcome, listeners, to Desi Women Diaspora, a podcast about South Asian women who grew up around the world. I'm your host, Malo Kumar. We're bringing you a special two-part episode with Isra Nazir. In this part one, we'll follow our usual format and speak to Isra about her life growing up in Saudi Arabia and Canada before settling in New York City. In part two, we'll speak to Isra about mental health issues affecting South Asians in the era of COVID-19. Isra is a therapist by training and a mental health advocate who has worked extensively with South and East Asian communities. At the end of part two, we'll provide links to mental health resources Isra recommends. And now for part one. Let's go and get started. So thanks so much for being here. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Let's start with the basics. Tell me about where you grew up, your life story. So it's many cities, actually. So I was born in Pakistan, but I never lived there. Uh, my parents were living in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. after they got married. Um, so all of us were born in Pakistan. And then my mom would, you know, stay with her mom for a couple of months and then go back to Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. um, which is very common, you know, to go back to your mom's house if you're having a baby. Um, yeah, so I was born in Pakistan and then grew up in Saudi Arabia and lived there till I was 13 years old. So I was in grade eight when we immigrated and um, we moved to Toronto, Mm -hmm. Canada. And then I was there until two years ago and I moved to New York. Yeah. Yeah. So So it's been a couple of places. When somebody asks you what's home, is it Toronto? Is it Saudi Arabia? Is it both? I mean, I say Toronto. Yeah. I feel definitely very connected to Toronto. Um, Living in Saudi Arabia is like living in a bubble if you're not Arab. So you don't really feel connected to the culture I mean, it's very embarrassing to say this, but I, I had zero Saudi friends. I have zero Saudi friends. Um, we just didn't interact with mm-hmm. Arabs. And it wasn't like an officially segregated society, but it's like unofficially people just live and exist in different spheres. Mm-hmm. And so. do you think that's a product of the government, of the Pakistani community? Is it a combination of everything? Why is it so isolated in Saudi Arabia? And do you think that's also the case in other Arab countries? So I think it's different now. So I'm talking about like the 80s and the 90s. And I haven't been back since grade nine. So I was 14, Um, which was like 20 years ago or something. I think it's a mix of both. I think language is a huge part. Um, Back then, not a lot of Saudis locally were speaking non-Arabic. I think that there is definitely a little bit of racism that keeps both sides separate from each other. So it's not just that the Arabs are racist towards brown people, but it's the other way as well. There's a lot of misinformation. There's just a lot of fear Mm-hmm. So we weren't allowed to play outside, mm-hmm. right? Because no. the fear was you're going to get abducted. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was very controlled. Yeah. You know. So I think it's that. 
Yeah. And and I think Dubai um, is different now. Mm-hmm. My brother lives in Qatar. I went to visit him. It's it's still like the expats are their community yeah. and the Arabs are their community. Yeah. So. so what was it that brought so many Pakistanis to Saudi Arabia? Honestly, I think like in the 80s, Saudi Arabia had the largest um, non-Pakistani, like non like Pakistani community outside of Pakistan. Diaspora, yeah. Yeah, I forget. There we go. Yes, the name of the podcast. It was work. Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia was heavily building, developing, um, you know, PIA, the Pakistani Airlines. Saudi Arabia recruited so much of their staff to build their airlines. Oh, wow. Um, oil companies, oil engineers, um, embassies were being built. My mm-hmm. dad worked at the American embassy. Um, and they were just like recruiting from the South Asian continent. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, you know, it's a Muslim country. So a lot of Pakistanis were very comfortable going there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Are they Pakistan and Saudi Arabia are mostly Sunni? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, you think, part of the reason why they targeted Pakistan to get a lot of people to come? I think so, but I also, and this is something I always heard when I was there, like at shops or like people would find out I was Pakistani and they would make a joke. There's this idea that Pakistani people are very educated. Mm -hmm. So they were just recruiting the doctors and the engineers. So Mm -hmm. the local Arab community would say, oh, you're Pakistani. Oh, you're all doctors. Yeah. Or you're all engineers. So there's this idea um, that Pakistan is like a very education oriented society, Mm Which, I mean, it is, but it's also, like, not the brand it has right now. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. so things have evolved. Yeah. Or devolved. That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So you, when you were kind of coming to terms, and we'll talk about this later for sure, in Toronto with the fact that in Saudi Arabia, you saw a lot of South Asians in the media and basically every, like, aspect of life. You said when you came to Toronto, even though it's super diverse, there's like white people and black people on TV and that mm-hmm. was it. Yeah. But then you found out that Armin Van Buren's yeah. singing Nadia Ali. I remember her so well. Yeah. She's uh, born in like, I think she was born in like Libya, but she was raised yes. in Queens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But she's Pakistani and she's very openly Pakistani. Yeah. She doesn't hide it. I just remember it was five o'clock in the morning. My friend and I were listening to music. Uh, we just come back. We were all hanging out in a hotel. It was like a girl's night. Yeah. And we started playing this music, and she, my friend said, oh, wait, her name sounds brown. And then you just <laughs> went into this, like, Google hole. Yeah. <laughs> um, of, of, and then I just felt, it just felt so nice. Yeah. She was maybe, like, the first brown person that I really was, I saw in yeah. Hollywood or the Western media. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I think she was the first person that I, I listened to regularly, and I thought to myself, she has a beautiful voice. And then in my head, she was always white. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that she's South Asian. Yeah. It blew my mind, but it was also cathartic in a way. And yeah. I, I don't think I would have put it in those terms now, but or back then, but now I definitely do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Cathartic. When you see your fellow brown person <laughs> represented in any capacity. Um, so what was it like growing up in Saudi Arabia? Do you feel like there was different classes of Pakistanis? Do you feel like there was some kind of like, I don't know, differentiator within the community or was it small enough that everybody congregated together? Um, I th- there was definitely a spectrum in terms of if you want to talk about class, yeah. but in my experience, the way like my family would interact is 
it wasn't as divisive as it is in Pakistan right now, mm-hmm. where you see that people from certain socioeconomic like status don't interact with yeah. the others, you know? It wasn't like that. I mean, my parents had friends who were literally the like the chauffeurs and the drivers and the mechanics at the embassy, all the way to my dad's closest friend was the doctor to the king's mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? That's a pretty wide range, yeah, I'd say. But they would be at the same parties. Like they were invited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if we went to someone's house and they had floor seating. We were just sitting on the floor. There was no questions about it. Yeah. Um, and then if we went to someone's house and they had like Filipino nannies, mm-hmm. that was just the way they lived. Yeah. And But in Pakistan, you wouldn't see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think it's because the community was so small or was it because your parents were just like vigilant about exposing you to different classes of people? I think it's both. Yeah. And my, my parents are very much like that. But I also think that there was like a smallness of the community there. Mm. And it's different now, I feel. Mm. Um, because now my friends who I grew up with in Saudi Arabia are settled there and they have children. So there's essentially like second generation. Yeah. So then tell me about that contrast when you moved to Toronto and like 30% of the city is South Asia. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it was such a huge change for me. So in terms of like North American culture, that was all fine Mm -hmm. because, because of like my parents' friends um, and my, just by virtue of my dad working at the embassy, we were very exposed to Thanksgiving and Christmas Mm -hmm. and Easter and Archie comics and the Backstreet Boys, like all those things. But like everything was different. Like you walked everywhere and that was like a really big thing for me. I just remember being devastated that I had to walk to school. You know, there was no central AC and that was just a bizarre thing for me. Um, And I could like go to the mall by myself and that was strange. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like a culture shock. It was more of like an opportunity shock. Like Mm -hmm. I just had so much opportunity to do things. Um, but in terms of, in terms of diversity, I don't, I don't remember feeling like overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. I was definitely more taken by the fact that I could go to the park by myself. <laughs> like, it, was, yeah. it was like the craziest thing. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. Um, you said you have a brother, right? Mm-hmm. Is he older or younger? He's older. How, how many years older is he? He's three years older. Three years older. Because I have a theory that if you move to a different country when you're about 12 or 13, mm-hmm. but basically 12 to 14, that's like a tender age. Mm-hmm. And whatever country you're in at that period is how you identify for the rest of your life. That's what mm-hmm. I've noticed with my friends. So do you feel like him moving when he, I guess he was 15 or 16, did yeah. he feel like a, a stronger sense of being Saudi? I don't know if he connected with being Saudi, but he definitely connected with being Middle Eastern. Right. So, I mean, and I don't want to speak on his behalf too much, but I, he left like 10 years ago. So he must have been like 26. You know, the first opportunity he got, he like, so Qatar Airways was opening a route to Toronto and he just was like, this is excellent. And he just like, and then he just like, he went for, he was like, oh yeah, I'll do this for two years. I'll travel the world. And then he never came back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and even now, if we talk about it, he does say that, you know, the Middle Eastern lifestyle is just a different lifestyle. Yeah. It's slower. You know, they are not as driven by work. It's, it's a different lifestyle. Too. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess being heavily subsidized also helps a lot. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. mean, I wouldn't live there. Yeah. As because, a woman, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, um, I don't think I could 
do the same things that I do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you think he feels that that gender inequality is an issue or? I mean, if he does feel it, it obviously doesn't bother him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Qatar is also different. Yeah, it is. It It is. is, Like I went there to visit him two years ago and, you know, I don't have to, I can, I can wear what I'm wearing right now. Um, all the food that, and that you want is, you know, accessible. You can have the dogs that you want that you yeah. can't do in Saudi Arabia. So. That's true. Yeah, it's a lot so less It's oppressive. like a nice mix right. um, of here and Saudi Arabia. So mm. I think that's what he likes. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Cool. Um, so tell me about your life in Toronto. Like, what was it like growing, getting, I don't know, readjusted to that or opportunity, so the new mm. opportunities, mm-hmm. going to university? Tell yeah. me about that part of your life. Um. I mean, I loved growing up in Toronto. I think the I think one of the reasons my mom was really adamant that we move there versus coming here um, to the states is they, they you can just sense this um, diversity acceptance. Yeah. It's not tolerated. It's celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that reason, I really felt like I could just you know, be who I am and pick up some of the Canadian things and pick up some of the brown things and just kind of, you know, um, and, and you're hard pressed to find, and this is just Toronto, right? I can't speak to the rest of Canada, but you're hard pressed to find like one group of friends that's just one racial identity. It's always mixed. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe no, you can ask me like a little more direct question because my overall answer is I loved growing yeah, up Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. The city is great. The people are good. The food is good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's yeah. like a PSA for Toronto. <laughs> Sponsored by Toronto. <laughs> um, have you seen the show Kim's Convenience Store on Netflix? Yeah, yeah. a few episodes. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's the for me, it's like not the best show ever, but I just love the fact that diversity is so natural there. That's one thing that just... He's a shop owner. He's, you know, with their lower middle class, mm-hmm. I guess you would say. And then mm-hmm. every kind of person that walks in through that store, whatever, you know, yeah. to be who you are, it's totally cool. Buy yeah. what you want, be who you want. And yeah. I, I love the ease of it. And that's something even in the States and sometimes in New York, I feel like we're so strained by a long history of slavery and mm-hmm. so many racial things that have happened over the decades of America's existence that mm-hmm. a lot of people still circle back to that and they don't really yeah. know how to just be natural in front of people. True. That's true. I mean, Toronto, I don't know if you know the show, it was a local show called Little Mosque on the Prairie mm-hmm. and it came out 20 years ago and it's about the small Muslim community who live in like the prairie area in Canada and it was so ahead of its time. Uh, it's a sitcom mm-hmm. but it dealt with these issues of like racial tensions, um, hijab, like, should you be allowed to wear it? I said 20, but maybe 15, Mm -hmm. but it's an excellent show. And, and I think that really reflects Canadian culture. Mm -hmm. Um, not to say that Canada is this utopia and nothing bad happens there. I mean, like we have our problems. Absolutely. Um, but I think as a Brown person, um, and maybe just the area I was living in, it was a very diverse area. Um, and in terms of the opportunities, I mean, it took me some time to adjust to it, which sounds like, like, why would you push back against, you know, freedom? Mm -hmm. But out of all of my siblings, I'm the one who took the longest time to adjust again, like walking, not having a car, like those things really impacted me when I was younger. Um, and then I think it was like by grade 10 that I really felt this is like, I don't want to go back to that. (laughs) Yeah. 
because we went back the summer after grade nine and I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <I> <laughs> this see. is what it's like. I forgot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it took yeah. me a, a year and a half. Do you feel like part of it is because you were questioning whether this is real or questioning whether, in fact, you would get punished for doing something that's normal in Canada? No, I think I was just overwhelmed by this idea that I could do it, Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, but then also the fears that came with it. Yeah. Right. Um, I just remember one of my first memories in Toronto is the summer after we moved, we were in a park and there was this kid who had this very aggressive dog and the dog started chasing me. And I'd never been around a dog before. And I was terrified. Like, you know, I was terrified. I was like running around screaming and crying. And some lady at the park thought I was having an asthma attack. So it's things like that, right? Where I was just fearful of mm -hmm. everything. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't. I guess I can. I, I guess we all have that. Because even as an American, when I lived in France, it was just odd that I could go out and I don't know, catch a train in a small city, catch a tram to a train to another train and get anywhere in the country. You yeah. Know, that kind of freedom was just odd as an American. Yeah. You know, I associated public transportation with mega cities and that's it. Yeah. But in you know, a lot of parts of the world, you can connect any small village to any small village. There's some way to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or even like something very, and this is like something so trivial, right? In Europe, you can drink outside. Yeah. <laughs> At 18. <laughs> but it's like so bizarre. Yeah. Right? And and you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> so it's it's kind of yeah. like that. It goes both ways. I think it's the same thing that you were saying. Because that freedom, sometimes people abuse it. Or they're just mm -hmm. shitty people, you know? Yeah. There's assholes that drink outside. And sometimes yeah. that sucks when you're a kid. Yeah. You can see that all the time in France. There's young kids there and they just know instinctively, those two guys are drunk. So yeah. let me leave. Yeah. Yeah. Or the incessant smoking everywhere. Yeah. The, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Never feel healthy when I'm in France these yeah. days. So why did your um, parents move from Saudi Arabia to Toronto? Um, there were no um, English-speaking universities there um, at that time. Now there's a couple, um, but my brother was like, so we, it's the British school system there. So it's like the A-levels and the O-levels. Do you know what that is? Yeah, of course. Um, so my brother had just done his, I think the O-levels, which is like grade 10, and he was nearing uh, prep for A-levels. Um, so my parents were really wrestling between just sending him and like the rest of us deciding what we want to do as we grow older um and then just everybody going and my mom was just like well if everyone's going to go there we might as well so the funny thing is it's not my dad who applied for immigration it's my mom oh great that's yeah. Really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so they just could not agree but she was just like i'm not gonna send my kids by i, I want to be with them mm -hmm. so she applied um you know, we, we got it. And then we moved and my dad stayed back, which is very common um, in especially like Middle Eastern um, families, like Pakistani families, where the dad stays back, continues working. And so he lived in Saudi Arabia for five years. Wow. Um, and then he moved. Wow. So what was it like being yeah. so far away from your dad? It was weird. Yeah. It was weird for sure. It was like much harder. Like my mom had never driven in her life. Right. Um, but within three months, she got a license and was driving. Um, but also like coordinating groceries in those three months, um, just like not being around. It was like weird, mm -hmm. you know, I you had just never conceptualized that this would happen. Yeah. Um, so it was, and yeah. then, and then once he came, things were like different. back to normal. Yeah. 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 So what was your experience like going to university in Toronto or did you go to the university in Toronto? I did. Yeah. yeah. I went to university of Toronto. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
it's so I live like 40 minutes away. My parents' house is 40 minutes away. So I didn't live on campus. So I was like a commuter student. Um, and I think that experience is different than living on campus. Um, but it was it was really easy, honestly. I mean, U of T is a hard school. And academically, there were certain things that um, I struggled with. Um, but other than that, U of T is a very brown school. There are so many brown people <laughs> at U of T. So that was... In fact, there's fewer white Canadians than there are the rest of really? ethnicities. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I think it's just like, it's just like a cultural difference where you travel to go to university. So a lot of like the white Canadian kids in my high school went outside of Toronto. I remember this one girl, she was saying that her parents didn't allow her to apply in Toronto, whereas I had the opposite experience. I could only apply to the three schools. And of that, my mom was very much like, you're going to go to University of Toronto. Yeah. was the know? best one out of and, the three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I went to York for my first year, which is a different school. Um, and then I very quickly agreed with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to UFD. Yeah. It's downtown Toronto. It's like NYU. The okay. campus is spread all over. Yeah. It was just like a much better experience. Yeah. Um, but a lot of like the non- brown kids go to Guelph or Windsor, like outside. Mm -hmm. They go to like college towns. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's a different experience. Yeah, that's interesting. So did you feel like going to university at a mostly brown school was kind of normalizing or was it empowering? How would you describe being among people who at least like superficially look like you? Honestly, it just felt normal. Yeah. Like I, I think at that time I wasn't very hyper aware mm -hmm. myself of a lot of these like dynamics. Um, I never felt othered. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also on the flip side didn't feel particularly empowered. That's an interesting question. Yeah. I've never actually thought about that. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just, it was just is, mm -hmm. you know, this is what it is and yeah. that's all. Yeah. 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 I like, no, I like to ask that question because when I, the school that I went to, there was quite a few brown people as well, mostly white, a lot of brown people. Mm -hmm. And they were all very normative in whatever that culture is. They were mm -hmm. all bio majors, chem majors. They're going to go to med school. Mm -hmm. That was the trajectory. Mm -hmm. And so being, you know, especially queer and then also not in one of those majors, I was the only brown person in like the entire marketing department that year. Mm -hmm. It was a very odd experience because it, there's just, it was such a narrow box of what you could be mm -hmm. as a South Asian in mm -hmm. this like context in this place. Yeah. And so I did feel othered all the time, but for me, it was empowering because I was like, well, I'm already outside the box, so fuck it. Let me just do what I want. Yeah. But I think a lot of people that I've spoken to in recent years, when they have that experience in university, they realize yeah, I was kind of pushed to do something that I mm -hmm. necess maybe necessarily didn't want to. Yeah. Um, I had this experience when I was doing my master's in New York. Mm -hmm. I was the only brown person in my program. Um, so I did my master's out in Long Island. Um, and it was, it's a small school. There was like 13 of us. The 13, there was one black girl um, and one of me, um, and the rest were predominantly Amer like white American. So that it was a that was I was very acutely aware of that. Um, somebody in the beginning they asked me where I was from because you know you're getting to know each other, and I said Pakistan, and the girl literally said, "Oh, so you're Arab? Wow, <laughs> this is a master's program." Yeah, that's pretty sad. I mean, she didn't know that you did in fact grow up yes. in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So yeah. it's not even that nuanced. It's, she just right. literally did not know where yeah. Pakistan is. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, you just kind of blob it together because of 9-11. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's this idea. Even though, ironically, they were all Saudi. <laughs> exactly. And it wasn't on the band, but whatever. Um, 
so yeah, so that I felt very, and, and there were like in the cultural competency class, it was definitely very salient. People like had questions. I did a lot of educating, you know, and I think that's like a cross sometimes um, people of color bear is yeah. like, we are responsible for educating yeah, you. Yeah, it's exhausting, right? It's a full-time job on top of your actual job. Constantly, you know, um, you know, there's like these unfortunate incidents of like mass shootings. And if you happen to be the same background, it happens like at work too, right? And and most people are well-meaning, mm-hmm. But you still have to like explain it. Yeah. Um, and as a total side, I feel like that's how a lot of times women are as well. They have to like explain it to men about yeah. why. So it's that's a total side rant. Yeah. No, it's not. A, it's a, it's a core <laughs> rant. I feel. No. It, it, yeah. It totally is. It's exhausting when you have to represent mm-hmm. an entire community. It's like why can't you go and do some research and then come just, and ask me a question? Yeah. You know? Just read. Just, just read, read something. There's yeah. so much out there. You know. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of that in my master's, and I felt very. And and when I came here, that was the biggest thing that was different from U of T, University of Toronto is that there was a lot of diversity, but the diversity was very segregated. Mm-hmm. So like the brown kids hang out with the brown kids and there were like the black sororities and they were all black. And there was like, you know, the white sporty girls versus, and it was just, and I was like, this is a university. Why does this feel like a high school in a movie? Mm-hmm. I felt very like yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Do you have a theory on why Canada tends to be more racially integrated than the States? Um, I think it's because of their historic refugee policies. Like they, um, you know, uh, I think it's like the Ethiopian or Eritrean refugees who came in, the Afghan refugees came in. And so when that policy, it's a, it's a, it's a political policy, right? Mm -hmm. But when it's created, there's a lot of national dialogue about how are we going to welcome them? And it's not always successful, right? Like, integration is difficult sometimes you don't have the infrastructure like we saw that happen with the syrian group but it, there's still a this national conversation about it and the tone is primarily of this is happening so how are we gonna integrate it um and i've noticed so a lot of my friends have children so i've noticed that the curriculum reflects that really yeah wow. so you're taught this from like like elementary school wow um, and I don't think this is a new thing. I think this has been happening for some time. Um, so, like, you celebrate all the holidays. Mm-hmm. All the kids who grow up in Toronto, at least, they know what Diwali is. They mm-hmm. know what Hanukkah is. They know what Eid is. They know the two different Eids, right? They break fast in Ramadan, like, once. Um, they make cards for each other. So, and this is happening at, like, grade one. So, you just kind of grow with it. Um and I think my third theory is Canadians take a lot of pride in this. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Right? So then it's it's per, like it's perpetuated yeah. because like this is who we are yeah. and we're, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's what it is. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I wonder if, if it's also because is, is this like a national policy? Do kids all across Canada have to participate in all of these? Activities? I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I know that in Toronto, in the areas that my family, friends and friends and even outside of Toronto, like Peel region um, or I don't know, the kids who go to school in Burlington, which is an hour and a half outside of Toronto. 
they are having the same experience. Really? That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. I think Toronto maybe financially is also more manageable. So I think a lot of people are able to stay. Mm-hmm. I know New York is one of those cities where you, you will meet born and raised New Yorkers, but it's a rarity. Yes. I'm sure you've experienced this. Yes. For a city of 9 million people, nobody's from the city. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's true. Yeah, um, so it's hard. Even if you get like a very progressive city, like nobody is of that culture growing up. Yeah. So. Um, so my husband grew up in Winnipeg, okay. born and raised, mm-hmm. and he was saying his experience was very different. Yeah. There were only five brown kids in his school, and of the five, like one was his cousin, right? <laughs> <laughs> Two were his family friends. Right. Um, and that was that was it. That so was there's the group. one family. There's like families. essentially two families, two families, right? And now Winnipeg has like a huge, mm-hmm. huge population. Um of Pakistanis, yeah. which is like random. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if he was taught a lot of this stuff. I'll have to ask him. Yeah, you should. Yeah, <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's definitely not as, I think over the years he has become more and it, like connected to brown culture. And again, mm-hmm. I think that's because it, Winnipeg is very different from Toronto. Yeah. 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 So Very cool. Um, all right. So after university, did you stay in Toronto or did you come to New York right after that? I came to New York the year after. Okay. So I, I like worked for a year. I hung out. Um, and then I started my program here mm-hmm. um, in 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I lived here for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 2011. Yeah. I lived here for two years. And I just fell in love with New York. And I so desperately wanted to stay. And being in mental health, like nobody was giving me a visa. Um, so then I went back to Toronto. Okay. So what was it like in the years here and then going back to Toronto? How did it feel? I mean, just New York is like such an interesting city, right? And and I think, again, and this is like my place of privilege. I don't feel racialized here. I don't feel like people treat me differently here. So my experience is I think I've had like one racist incident here and I didn't even realize it was happening, right? It happened at the Lincoln Center, in an elevator with a very, very well-dressed older couple. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my 25th birthday and we were going to this like jazz performance there. And he made like a comment that loosely translated to like, just paraphrasing the the feel was like, go back to where you came from. Really? And we weren't even like interactive. I think we were mm-hmm. just being like rambunctious. We were 25 years old. We had no business being at the Lincoln Center. <laughs> so we <laughs> could be a little loud in the elevator of Lincoln yeah. Center. It's not killing anybody. Yeah. And we had like, I remember I had like cotton candy in my hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> not even going to ask how that happened. <laughs> I can't even remember, to be honest. Um, but I remember in that moment, in my like naive state, thinking, I was like, oh, how does he know I'm Canadian? Right. And then it's later on that week in my class, I was telling the story, my cultural competency class. And my professor looked at me and he goes like, no, that was a racist incident. And so it took me like four days to realize that. (laughs) Which is telling in itself. It happens so infrequently. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I had like a really good time here. Um, and I, I think I like became really way more connected with my, my brownness here mm-hmm. because the majority of my friends were brown kids here. I started a Bollywood dance group at my school. Um, and so I definitely became way more 
Like I watched my like first Pakistani drama in New York. <laughs> okay. So nice. I definitely grew more into like yeah. my cultural background. Yeah, I think New York is wonderful. There's so many, so many South Asians, and so many of them are so progressive in New York that mm-hmm. you can just be who you are, have the interests you want. Yeah, it's one of those cities where nobody questions. Like, yeah, I've told the story a few times. I, I speak French fluently because of university and also working at the UN and spending so much time in West Africa. In New York, nobody questions why. Don't have mm. to explain why. It's just, it's a cool fact about me. Yeah. You know, oh, did you know Mala speaks French? Yeah. Not why. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that aggressive yeah. why. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you felt that too. You could, okay, it's cool that you grew up in Saudi Arabia, you're, yeah. you're of Pakistani origin. Great. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> and, I, and I think I also, it was my first um, experience into, there's like no good way to say it like older brown people like in their 30s and 40s again i was 24 25 right so that's old Old, (laughs) aka me right now who were you know progressive and successful and had families here um and they lived in the city and they were so intelligent and i would go to these dinner parties and it would be like my friends older brother's friends and they would be having these like political discussions and so it was like my first like exposure to this like totally different type of brown person mm-hmm. um and i think in toronto i just didn't have that yeah it's not that they don't exist i stayed in my little bubble i had my like six friends we went to the same restaurants the same like places yeah and that was kind of i was younger we just kind of did our own yeah, thing right um and i had no like entryway into this mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I was like, you know, this is how I want to be mm-hmm. when I'm older. Yeah. I've had that moment too. Absolutely. Yeah. Sitting yeah. at a dinner party. Mm-hmm. The only person that's like your age group, everybody's just old enough so mm-hmm. that you can relate to them, but not so old, or sorry, not so old that you can't relate to them, but they're clearly ahead in life because they've just had more years on this earth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so they're like, ins- you feel inspired. Inspired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're almost like a mentor. You're like, wow, yeah. life doesn't fall apart if you believe in same sex marriage or if yes. you have an interracial marriage. Yeah. It's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. So it was like a totally different experience. And I think that really changed me. Yeah. So when I went back to Toronto, I was very clearly a different person. Yeah. Um, and I suddenly had different interests. I took a different interest in the city, mm-hmm. whereas before in Toronto, it was just about like going to the parties. Repetition. And that was yeah. kind of it. Like, what are we doing for New Year's? Right? <laughs> yeah. It was like very limited scope. Yeah. Um, and then when I went back, I was like, there is a theater scene here. Like, why don't I know about this? Yeah. I grew up here. Yeah. So then I started going to plays on my own, like art shows. And I just like kind of expanded myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't left. Yeah, that's probably yeah. true. Yeah, sometimes you just have to leave to yeah. appreciate what you had. Yeah, And even like, you know, finding access into interesting Daisy community members. Mm-hmm. So there was this party that happened in Toronto at the Hard Rock Cafe. It was Bollywood Nights, but it was, it was like a celebration of like Daisy culture happening in the middle of downtown Toronto. Um, and things like that. So I started seeking out the, this like new community. Yeah. It was nice. Yeah. It was growth. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag growth. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. So what eventually brought you back to New York city? Um, I got married to somebody who lives here, which is like a very flat way of saying it. Um, but we, so he's Canadian, he's from Winnipeg and we met when, so he's been here for a while Mm -hmm. and, um, we met because, a mutual friends, mutual friends set us up. Um, and it's interesting, like I never saw that girl again. So it's like she just kind of crossed paths with me <laughs> to introduce us to introduce me. And, like, and that was it. 
Um, and when we started talking about getting married, him moving to Toronto wasn't even on the table because I was so ready. Yeah. You know, I yeah. was like, I want to move back here. Um, and so that's what brought me here. Very cool. Yeah. Saki exists to end domestic and sexual violence against South Asian women. Although domestic violence has long been a silent subject in the community, two in five South Asian immigrant women in the U.S. are survivors. In its 30 years, Saki has united survivors, communities, and institutions to create powerful and sustainable change. Saki offers a range of services for the community. For urgent support, call their helpline at 212-868-6741, and to learn more, visit their website at sakhi.org, or follow them on Twitter at sakhinyc. So tell me about your work life, because you said in your summary that, you know, being Pakistani origin, growing up in Saudi Arabia has had quite a profound effect on why you chose what you did and the career you've had. Mm -hmm. So take me through your professional life and how different cities have affected that. Yeah. So, I mean, originally, my original plan was to work as a marine biologist and how that came about in Saudi Arabia. Like, I can't <laughs> even no tell issue. you. <laughs> like, I have no idea. I read a book once when I was like in grade five about this marine biologist and I was yeah. like this is what I want to do <laughs> I'd never seen the ocean in my life by the way at that point um so in Saudi Arabia I had like no conceptualization of mental health as a thing it's really in Toronto when I started to kind of crystallize ideas about what I wanted to do in high school so you take the intro to psych class um but what really kind of pushed me into specializing in this. So even when I went to university, um, I did psych and then I did environmental studies because I just wanted to, I'm just really interested in conservation sciences. Um, so I, and then I was like trying to like merge them into like environmental psychology, which is, um, how can we influence and change behaviors to be more green and all that stuff. But it was really, like going to Pakistan, um, and this sounds like something you put in your personal statement, but this is true. I saw people in my family who were mentally unwell. I saw, I went to visit somebody in the hospital and I saw, and I had like a very brief, like foray into psych. I had taken like intro to psych in high school and I was in first year actually. So I was taking a couple of these like one-on-one courses. Right. And it was just so powerful. Yeah. You know, so I know somebody who had a very mild mental illness, who was mistreated both medically and by the family. And ultimately it caused that person's death, but oh, it could, but it could have just been avoidable yeah. had we just like treated it well in the beginning. So it didn't become this thing that became so unmanageable and yeah. misunderstood. Um, and, it's, it's not somebody who was like very far away from me. Right. Um, and so then I started having these conversations with my parents about it. And now I'm in second year. Now I'm like thinking more and more about what I want to do with this. Do I want to get a master's? Right. And then I started just like looking around Toronto as well. I remember doing like a search for, um, like Pakistani therapists and they're just like so few and far. Right. Um, and then it just, it, it's just in conversations with my parents is this idea just really crystallized for me is if we have to change the stigma and it's our responsibility, we need more people on the other side Yeah, who are not just psychiatrists. 
So you have a lot of Indian Pakistani psychiatrists, mm-hmm. right? But psychiatrists are one part of that spectrum. They're mm-hmm. very symptom oriented. Yeah. It's medication only. And it doesn't really like impact the dynamics, the the behavior patterns, the why we ended up here. It's mm-hmm. it's very much, this is your gene pool, here's some meds, let's titrate and you'll be fine, which is a necessary part of mental health, um, but it's not the only part. Of course, yeah, yeah. Right? Now the landscape is very different in Toronto um, around mental health. Uh, I think the city itself has taken upon itself to reduce stigma, as you see everywhere right now, right? Um, but I think that's, that's what it was. I was like, we need more people on the other side. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly speaking, the conversation tone of my family about mental illness and mental health has evolved so much since. And, and a lot of it has to do not because of me, but because of having somebody in the family Mm -hmm. who is talking about it, who's correcting you, who's, you know, forcing you to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like I remember like when I first applied, um, it was like hard for my mom to like explain to people in my family, like <laughs> yeah. what is she doing? Yeah. Um, and like the most easy way for her to say it is like, oh, she's going to be working with crazy people. She was just like, there's like no other way for me to yeah. explain it. Yeah. And now after all of those incidents in the family and like all of this, like people get it now. Yeah. Now I'm not, now I'm not the person who's working with crazy people. It's like. You know, she's helping people who have X, Y, Z issue. Right. I, like, I don't think I was incorrect in thinking that, that we need more people who are practitioners, who are clinicians, um, who provide services. Because, you know, if you have family issues in a brown, like, family, they don't want to go to a white therapist. Yeah. Like, you, you can't, sometimes you can't take your mom or your dad to a white yeah, therapist, right? right? Um, and that's not because of anything racist. It's really the, the understanding. Yeah. It's it's so different, yeah. right? Like, for example, in high school, we had this guidance counselor, and she was a white Canadian woman. And one of my friends, she is Afghan, um, and or Afghani, I don't know which one is correct, but no offense to anybody who's listening. <laughs> uh, she's from Afghanistan. There we go. Um, and she was having a lot of trouble at home with her dad for whatever their reasons were. And she went to the guidance counselor and the guidance counselor said to her, you need to set boundaries with your parents. Yeah, this Afghani girl is in grade 12 and her dad is like very, very, you know, conservative. She can't go and do that. That is like the biggest waste of time. It's also conceivably dangerous. That's one of the things I don't like about this. She ran away. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. Like, and she's fine now. We're like we've grown apart, like, but at that time she mm-hmm. ran away and she came back and everything was fine. But like, yeah, you could get killed for that. Absolutely, yeah. And that happens in in Canada too. Yeah. Like honor killings happen there. Yeah. You know. Um. So where was I going with this? It's important. <laughs> in summary. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah and then so I started working in the Peel region, which is very brown. Mm-hmm. Like they call it, it's the city's called Brampton, but they colloquially call it Brown Town. Yeah, <laughs> I've been to Brown Town. Have you? Okay, have, so yeah. you know, there's yeah. aunties in their sneakers and yeah. their shawar kameez <laughs> with their chai, you know, there's yeah. uncles on their bicycles. Um, and you can see, and there's a lot of brown clinicians there, but that was one of the reasons, like, I feel like I got hired there as well yeah. because they wanted somebody who spoke the language. So I think, like, being in Toronto, 
allowed me to do this because I was able to find spaces like the Canadian Mental Health Association, which is because they're that branches in the Peel region. They understand their um, community and they have programs that are for brown communities. Mm -hmm. They have programs that are for Sikh families and that takes into consideration the intergenerational nature, the all those things, right? So I don't know if I would have been able to find something like that here. I haven't found, like, I know Saki is like yeah. a DV. They're actually our sponsor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw that actually, but I heard about them when I was working up in the Bronx Yeah, uh, with my work here. But so I think Toronto afforded me to explore this more. Um, but I think it really came from my personal experience in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, don't, I can't say that it's drastically different now there, yeah. which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you think? Because it's interesting because obviously any cultural diaspora is somewhat isolated from the mainstream, whether it's mm-hmm. media or whether it's mm-hmm. like cultural norms. But how do you think the dialogue of mental health, both in Canada and the States, have affected South Asian or Pakistani communities when it comes to their understanding of mental health? Here or there? Both. Okay. So here, I think it, like the big push lately, I think is really educating people. And I can see even just around me, like families, they like have so much more understanding Mm -hmm. um, from the parent side. I think there's still, there's still families that are very, rejecting of this notion um the very religious families sometimes think that it's just a lack of faith mm-hmm. but I, I would say overall the needle has moved for sure like i know friends who have taken mental health leaves and told their parents and their parents have been like incredibly supportive mm-hmm. um i know that like, my parents are really supportive of this stuff i know my friend's parents understand it um and i think like maybe 10 years ago it would have been different yeah um Back home, I've noticed that there has been a shift in this dialogue because there has been like an increase in suicides that is related to academics, right? And so there was a program on like local Pakistani um, TV where the woman just talked about mental health. She was like a very prominent drama actor. There's a huge following and she talked a lot about it. Um, And... I think Bollywood movies have started talking about it. So that has a trickle-down effect in Pakistan. Um, and I think the media personalities right now are people who, you know, somewhat grew up here and then went back or have a lot of connection to the West. And I think that's like a great thing that has come out of globalization. Yeah. And Instagram and all those yeah, things. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So there was, it was like World Mental Health Day yesterday. Mm-hmm. All of the backside celebrities talked about it. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even when they tweet about it, they talk about it in this, like, language that is relatable to people yeah. in Pakistan, right? Yeah. Because nobody, not everybody, like, understands depression. Yeah. You have to kind of say it in the local term. Mm-hmm. So. What does the local term translate to in English? Um, sadness. Sadness. Yeah. yeah. Um, anxiety. Like, often they'll talk about, like, being worried too much. Mm-hmm. So you hear that here, too. So right? that's the word, the word for sad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, or, or I think, especially in cultures that are not very mental health positive, mm-hmm. it's talking about the symptoms. So we work right now with the, the Chinese population in Chinatown. And when we talk about mental health, we don't use any, like, diagnostic language Mm -hmm. it's really talking about the symptoms Mm -hmm. are you having trouble like oh so you can't sleep and you're like worried about your son and so that's kind of how you get it yeah i guess is that tactile approach something that 
is prevalent throughout a lot of immigrant communities? I would say that it's prevalent amongst communities that are not like mental health is not like a organic part of their community. Yeah. So definitely the Asian community, the mm-hmm. East Asian, South Asian, that entire region. Um, I can't speak to the Hispanic community. I don't know much about that. Yeah. Uh, but I know that like certain African communities, like Ethiopians, the Somalians in Toronto, um, that that ethnic group has is working really hard for increasing uh, mental health mm-hmm. literacy in their communities because they are struggling. Yeah. Um, I'm sure so many of them being refugees and asylum seekers had really traumatic mm-hmm. past. And so the mosque that my family goes to in Toronto is a Somali mosque. Oh, wow. And the, like the leader of the congregation, he is like, you know, he talks about these things, but again, he talks about it around the symptoms. So yeah. you hear it in the sermon, um, both for parents and for kids. Um, just to make sure that the community is doing well. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, that's really cool. Isra, thanks so much for being on the show. And thank you to our listeners. Be sure to check out part two of this episode of Desi Women Diaspora, a podcast about South Asian women who grew up around the world. We'll speak to Isra about mental health issues facing South Asian communities as a result of COVID-19. This episode of Desi Women Diaspora was written, produced, and recorded by Malu Kumar, with editing by Kiran Kumar. Our music was written and recorded by Joseph McDade. Find him on Patreon at patreon.com slash Joseph McDade. And of course, special thanks to our interview guest, Isra Nazir.